It's goosebump time in Oxford, Mississippi. What's up? It's Podcast Rebellion. We are back at it again here with a another Golf Dads episode. Taking a couple weeks off. We've been busy. Um, there's been some. There's there's been plenty of golf to discuss, but uh, we uh, we have all been busy. And uh, but we're here now. I'm your host Zach Barry. Joining me, Mr. Will Bardwell. Will, welcome in, sir. How are you this fine Sunday evening? Zach, I feel like this was the weekend where I. I came into middle age and finally deserved the title of golf dad. Uh, so I'm, I'm very pleased to be with you despite the fact that it's past my bedtime. It is, uh, it is damn near nine o'clock local, uh, uh, local time here, central day, uh, daylight time here. Um, but we are going to discuss the Safeway open. Uh, we are going to discuss, I don't know if we'll discuss it much at all, but Stuart Sink won the Safeway Open, edging out one of my guys, Harry Higgs, as we were discussing before we started. Kind of the new tour favorite, uh, the new kind of dude that everybody is a fan of, and for good reason. He played his tail off this weekend, came up short. Stuart Sink, first tour victory since 2009. So he had a bit of a drought there. Um, I'm not the biggest Stuart Sink fan, uh, I, I will say I'd be lying if I didn't didn't say it was cool that uh, he won with his son on the bag. So um, yeah, Stuart Sink first title in eleven years, but Harry Higgs man had himself a hell of a weekend. Well, look, the Harry Higgs thing. If, if you're a Harry Higgs guy, obviously it, it sucks to uh, to lose out on this one. But the people Stuart call themselves Sink, uh, real quick. Well, the people call themselves Higglets. Just <laughs> the Higlets. Well, look, with apologies to the Higlets, um, they can all get in line behind uh, Tom Watson and the Watsonites uh, for Stuart Sink crapping on uh, that storybook finish in uh, 2009 at the Open Championship. Uh, I still not gotten over that. Um, I still wake up in, at night in a cold sweat. Uh, seeing Tom Watson on the 18th hole at Turnberry and have to go get murdered in that playoff. So um, Stuart Sink has been dead to me for 11 years. And, you know, if, if we should renew our uh, our hatred of him after this, then I'm happy to do that, Zach. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that too. Uh, Mr. Sink, 47 years old. Yeah. By all accounts, yeah. a super nice guy. Yeah. But I'm just sure dead to me. Dead to me. Yeah. Sure, he's great. Um, I kind of watching this one. Uh, I watched a good bit of this tournament over the weekend, and then watched the final round uh, tonight before uh, cooking some dinner. And man, it just it seemed like coming down sixteen, coming down seventeen, and then walking up to the final tee box. I I just felt like Harry Higgs really needed this one. His his career is very very young. He's going to have plenty more opportunities to win on tour. And um, this is by no means his final shot at winning a tournament. But um, Stuart Sink, a guy that's been around, been there, done that. I just felt like Higgs, it was kind of his time. He he had uh, some huge moments over the weekend, had an albatross, shot a 62, I believe, on Saturday. Was that what it was, Will? Yes, Friday. Friday. Um, so he you know, had every right to win this tournament, played his butt off and, uh, man, stink, uh, stink, sink. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Might as well call him stink. Uh, gained a stroke on him as he was walking up to his, uh, approach shot onto 18, had to hole out to force a playoff. Couldn't do it. But, uh, Higgs is a lot of fun. I mean, there was some, there were some lows. There were some, some low rounds this weekend. Uh, you had doc Redmond, Ches Reeve, Kevin Streelman, they were all up there, and uh, Sam Burns, who was playing in the group with uh, Harry Higgs at the end, played really well. Uh, Christopher Ventura, who was at one point the leader over the weekend, um, I mean, shot a seventy. So it was uh, it was a fun tournament up there in Napa Valley, and uh, 
Now we, uh, before we turn our attention to the U S open, I just, was there anybody else that stood out to you in the, in the field that, that you thought played well or, or deserves a mention here? Yeah. Well, the guy we were talking about before we hit record was Akshay Batia, who was T nine. Uh, folks will remember that Batia was on the Walker cup team last year and then skipped college to turn pro, uh, didn't get status through Q school. So he's just been playing many tour events and, uh, sponsors invites where he, wherever he can get them, uh, played really well at the Sanderson farms championship in Jackson last fall, which was his first pro event. Uh, but this week at T nine is by far, uh, the best performance he's had as a pro. So, you know, good for him. Hopefully, uh, hopefully something uh, good starting there. That's pretty a, a pretty remarkable story. To uh, you know, that's the old betting on yourself, I guess, type deal. Uh, we were uh, we were discussing that about uh, Billy Napier and mm-hmm. uh, him betting on himself staying at Louisiana instead of jumping ship to Mississippi State or anywhere else. And um, but yeah, that that's cool to. Uh, not only just kind of say, Hey, no thanks to college, but yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and play on tour. So, uh, pretty awesome. All right. Before we jump into our U S open preview, uh, I do want to talk. A, I know I do as well. I know you thoroughly enjoy talking some, some KFT. So let's, uh, let's talk some corn Ferry tour, uh, over the, uh, weekend they were playing as well. And, um, well, I take no pleasure in acknowledging the existence of that tour after Curtis Thompson's win today. Uh, however, it bears mention uh, that our Lord and Savior, Braden Thornberry, uh, has really heated up the last month or so and, uh, and is rounding into form. He was T21 today. It could have been a lot better than that, though. He uh, got a little sloppy coming down the the last nine today. Uh, and I'm sure he would admit that too. Uh, but could have easily had a top 10 finish, uh, had a T 12, uh, two weeks ago at the hardest course that they play all year. That was his best f- finish as a pro so far. Uh, and I mean, has just been playing really, really well, uh, for about the last four or five weeks. So if, if he can keep that up here, uh, to the end of, their schedule uh, and creep up the top 25 list uh, a, a little bit more than he will be well positioned by the time they uh, kick back off early next year. Played really well over the weekend. It seems like everybody went low. I think he finished at 10 under and uh, that, if that's good for T21. I mean, that just kind of sucks. And that's just shit luck. That's the way that tour is, man. Um, I mean, a lot you, of guys are heating up. I, I, the, the The shutdown apparently didn't affect a lot of guys because I think I feel like that tour has been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, whenever they put it on TV, I prefer watching Corn Ferry uh, over the PGA Tour. Uh, it, it's a blast. The scores are low. Um, you know, the guys that you're watching are fighting for scraps compared to what the guys play for on the PGA tour. And a lot of them will be on the PGA tour, uh, in the near to medium future. So it, it's a blast to watch. So Curtis Thompson, obviously we not a fan because Mr. Thornberry did not take home a trophy, but a uh, kind of a crazy story here. So two years ago, he had basically given up on playing golf as a professional uh, he only had four. He only made four cuts and thirteen starts in 2018. Lost his uh, tour status, and then he basically just quit and started caddying for his sister, who's on the LPGA tour. Um, yeah, Lexi Thompson, who even people who don't follow women's golf have probably heard of. Yeah, she's pretty good. Uh, so now, essentially, back into the fold, back into the limelight, winning the Evans scholars invitational, uh, only 27. So it's kind of, that, that, that just seems kind of odd to me. I, I maybe down, down in the dumps a little bit, missing a lot of cuts, but only 27 years old and, uh, birdied the final hole to edge, uh, will Zalatoris and Jimmy Stanger. Um, so it was, a a, a nice finish there. And, uh, 
like like I was saying, just entertaining. That the the Corn Ferry has just been. Yeah, I wouldn't say as good as the PGA, just because the PGA's bigger names, bigger golfers, better, bigger and better courses, all that. But um, I mean, action packed every weekend. If you if you can find it on television. I highly recommend watching it. It's a lot of fun. Like you were saying, guys are hungry. They're they're scratching and clawing, trying to get to the PGA tour. And uh these these tournaments have, have been heated. So it's uh it's if you if you don't have PGA Tour Live or NBC Sports Gold or if you can't watch anything live, I mean if you can find a corn fairy event on TV, definitely, definitely turn it on. Well, Curtis Thompson is like the least um favorite golfer uh i have for lots of reasons uh, we'll we'll say it's lsu uh but his the fact that he won today is a really good reminder of you know how quickly it can turn around and and i'm mentioning this specifically in the context of Braden thornberry you'll recall that thornberry got status this year on the Corn Ferry Tour the same way Curtis Thompson did. They co-medaled at Q School last year. Hmm. And Curtis was 52nd today coming in uh, uh, on points. He's up to 12th now. That's what a win can do for you in the points race. Now, you don't have to win. Nobody's saying Thornberry's got to win to uh, propel himself up into a a good position in the points race. But things can change quickly with uh, a top five finish or two. And compared to where he was a month ago, uh, Braden is well positioned to make that kind of jump if, if he can string together a couple of hot finishes here. Yeah, I, I like you said he's he's been playing really well. Things have been his game has really elevated in the past couple of weeks. He's pretty confident. Ball striking is there. Uh, he's always been pretty long off the tee, but uh, everything is just kind of coming together. So um, definitely tune into Corn Ferry as much as you possibly can. Uh, I'd say a, a pretty uh, a thing to note here: Curtis Thompson beat out Zal Torres, who is number one in the point standings right now. Zalatoris is a machine, by the way. He's going to win he's, all the money on the PGA Tour. Oh, uh, he's ahead years. of, uh, I believe it's Mr. Riley on tour um, by damn near 500 points. So <laughs> he is he is handling business right well, now. So. And, and he just he came out of nowhere in this tournament. He's won, uh, it, I believe, twice. Uh, this year and it's Zalatoris mm-hmm. and he was out of this thing when golf started today and just came out of absolutely nowhere to, uh, you know, to nearly win the thing. Uh, he's just an absolute animal out there. Uh, people are going to be hearing his name a lot after 2021 when he gets his tour cards. Yeah, only 16 events for him. He's ahead of Davis Riley, Taylor Pendrith, Lee Hodges, and Grayson Sig. They all have competed in 17 or 18 events. So he's really separating himself. And then kind of wild, at six, Brandon Wu, only six events, and he's over 1,100 points. So um, like, like like we've been saying, it's it's an entertaining tour. It's not the PGA but it is still a lot of fun. Um, I mean, you've got like Max McGreevy's playing on, on the KFT. Uh, I mean, guys like Curtis Luck right there at 26. Uh, I mean, it's it's a not only an, an entertaining tour that's extremely competitive week in, week out, but there are a ton of really great names. You've got Jose De Jesus Rodriguez, Nicholas Lindheim, Ollie Schneider hands. I mean, there's some fantastic names. Brad Hopfinger. I mean, come on. Dolly Vanderwalt. Scott Gutschewski. I mean, I can keep going here, Will. Like it's, uh, our, our, our Lord, Mr. Thornberry, top 60. He's 57 right now, competing in 19 events. So steady, consistent, playing well. But I, I will say, Something to keep an eye on because he has been heating up. Well, to make progress 
on that points race, you've really got to start finishing top 30 consistently. You know, after about 30th, the, the points they give out are really not worth your time. But he's doing that. Um, you know, he moved up three spots this week, that T21. Uh, a couple of weeks ago when he was T12, he shot up like 20 spots uh, on the list. You don't have to do that every week. But as long as he's you know, not missing cuts and just you know, finishing in the top 30, that, that would be plenty. I think he's going to get there. Uh, I think the way his game has been the last couple of weeks, I think he's going to be okay. You know, the thing I've only talked to Braden twice, um, but the the impression I've gotten from him both times I've talked to him is that he felt like the thing he needed to tighten up the most in his game was the mental aspect. Um, I, I talked to him right after. Q school last year, which again, he, he won, uh, he and Curtis Thompson, uh, co-medaled and you know, I was kind of asking you like, what's, what's the next step here? And I, I wish I could remember exactly how he put it, but it was basically something like just sort of being comfortable playing against these guys, the way he was when he was playing in college. Because you know a lot of these guys that he's playing against out there on tour are the same people he was competing against when he was at Ole Miss. It's just a different. Well, it's the it's the pros now instead of uh, mm-hmm. the NCAA's, uh, and so he knows just objectively that he can play with these guys because he has played with them and beaten them uh, as an amateur. And it's just a matter of sort of getting acclimated and getting comfortable with doing it on the pro circuit, which. You know, is perhaps coming around. His problem has not been that he hadn't been able to finish well in tournaments. His problem is just he he's missed a lot of cuts. Uh, but you know, he's he's made five of his last six cuts, uh, and now here the the past three weeks he's finished in the top thirty uh, each time, and and again today could have finished in the top ten. So maybe it's coming around. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for our Safeway Open uh, recap and Corn Ferry Tour recap. We're going to come back from the break. We're going to talk U.S. Open. We're going to preview the U.S. Open. We're going to talk a lot about betting the U.S. Open, uh, early favorites, all that good stuff. Uh, Quick word from the sponsors. After that, we will return with some Wingfoot talk. Hang tight. Right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments, part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford... If you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, 
do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something. The place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome, has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their healing station, high rye bourbon, the Memphis toddy, the Memphis vodka, or the new Honey Bell vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that healing station bourbon, a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, and just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic, and as always, OD encourages you to share a sip responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we are back here on Podcast Rebellion. Golf Dads, Will Bardwell, myself, Zach Barry. All right, let's go ahead and jump right in here. 2020 U.S. Open odds. Uh, let's just uh, get the obvious out of the way. Dustin Johnson, 8-1. to one. I think we all knew that was coming. And then you've got John Rahm at 11-1. to one. Roy McIlroy, 12-1. to one. Bryson DeChambeau, 14. Justin Thomas, 14-1. to one. Xander Shoffley and Colin Morikawa, 18-1. to one. Patrick Cantlay, 25-1. to one. Um, And then rounding out the notables here, Hideki, Matsuyama, Justin Rose, Tiger Woods, Webb Simpson, all 28 to 1. Mr. Bardwell, how are you feeling heading into wing foot? You know, looking at those, looking at this as a degenerate uh, gambler, Zach, and not as just sort of who are we picking to win, I really like the price on Webb Simpson here. I mean, this tournament is going to be one from inside a hundred yards. Now the, the fact that the, the fairways will be pinched in uh, as the USGA is want to do uh, is going to, is going to favor guys who can hit it long and straight. And that's not his game, but Wingfoot has just the most ridiculous green complexes and the guys who are chipping and putting really well are going to play really well. So if, if he can just keep it in the fairway and, and drive it reasonably well, uh, he's going to have a really great shot, especially at 28 to one. I mean, the fact that he and Hideki are both 28 to one is ridiculous because Hideki is not going to win this golf tournament. Yeah. Um, crazy thing here that I was unaware of. Winged Foot has produced only one under par champion in five previous U.S. Opens. Fuzzy Zeller finished four under and won a playoff against one Greg Norman in 1979. Oh, Greg Norman didn't get it done at a major? That was, that was unexpected <laughs> to hear. Yeah. Um, heating up too quick. 
Um, the other four U.S. Open winners at Winged Foot combined to shoot 20 over par. The most previous, Jeff Ogilvie was five over in 2006. Um, I will say, before I forget, the defending champion, Gary Woodland, is a 50-to-1 long shot. I don't know if you like those odds, but I, I do like the Webb Simpson play there. Well, that's that's certainly something that I do not hate to hear. I, I, Mr. Webb has been playing well, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's a that's, that's, that's pretty good odds there. I, I, that's not bad. Well, anybody who wants to familiarize themselves with what sort of skill set this golf course is going to be asking for should go out and look up uh, the the video that the fried egg did on Wingfoot's greens. It's about eight minutes, so it's easy to watch. Um, but I can't remember whether Jeff Ogilvy said this in that video or in something else that the fried egg has done. But he said that the the biggest difference for him in 06 was that he just chipped and putted his ass off. And mm-hmm. that I think Mickelson also said the same thing. Uh, of course, Mickelson famously melting down on the 72nd hole uh, that he had the best chipping week of his life mm-hmm. at Wingfoot in 06. And so it, it's that kind of golf course. And again, like, like every U.S. Open, you got to be able to hit it far and straight. Uh, but where the where the real separation is going to happen here is around the greens, which is one reason I really like John Rahm. I mean, Dustin Johnson has done everything right recently, uh, but Rahm is a prolific wedge player. And so, you know, he also happens to hit it really far and really straight, a lot more than Webb Simpson. So if you were looking at this strictly as who has the best shot to win rather than what's the best price out there on the board, you could do a lot worse than John Rahm. Yeah, he's he's been somebody that's been remarkably consistent, especially around the green, like you said, just very accurate, pretty deadly with the wedges. Putting has been pretty good to great, I'd say, since the restart. Um, I, I'll say this: it, it, I like Roy McIlroy here. Now, twelve to one are not great odds if you're gambling, but uh, Dustin Johnson's obviously the the favorite here. He's the one that's been playing incredibly well. Just won the FedEx Cup. I, Rory, I feel like it's it's only a matter of time before he kind of puts things together and uh, wins something here. I think that this is something that he could definitely grab a hold of Thursday, Friday, and hold on. Um, but he he's got to be able to find the fairway. Well, he he's been as long and consistent as he can be with the driver, he has just been incredibly inaccurate. I know that the, um, I believe he's 155th in driving accuracy percentage um, last season. And it just hasn't really improved. It just hasn't improved. Um, So he's, he's definitely going to have to shore that up if he's going to try to get to the top of the leaderboard this weekend. I don't, no, if he's a strong pick to win it all, but if you're trying to do any kind of top 10, top five bets, um, I feel like that's a decent value. And um, yeah, I, I like the Webb Simpson talk. I definitely think that he is someone who could easily sneak into the top five and be in that final pairing on Sunday. But um, yeah, Wingfoot is just, it's just going to be difficult no matter who's playing it. But uh, yeah, I, Guys who can hit fairways and be consistent getting up and down are going to really do some damage this weekend. And by do some damage, I mean maybe finish two over. You know, Rory, I can't remember where he said this, but I remember he said at some point in the past few years that he felt like he, not that he stole one, but that he got really lucky at uh, Congressional in 2011 with the conditions being what they were. You'll recall that the golf course was really wet that week and it just fit his game a lot better than 
you know, a typical U.S. Open setup. And Wingfoot is going to be the farthest thing from that this week. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, if Roy has just been the microwave man at the U.S. Open mm-hmm. the past few years. I mean, I'm looking at his results right now on Wikipedia. Uh, in 2015 and 2019, he was top 10. Uh, but every year in between that, he's missed the cut. So, you know, if if he takes to it, cool. But I, I just don't know, man. When When he gets a wedge in his hand, my confidence level goes down far. And this is a golf course that is going to demand uh, really sharp wedge play. And so I, and also, and this sounds a little hot takey, but recall that Rory has a brand new baby at the house. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know what kind of golf you were playing with a, a one month old in the house, but um, it's, it, you're not doing a lot of uh, a sleeping with a brand new baby in the house. So I, I would put this, I wouldn't put my kids college savings on him, but you know, stranger things have happened. Now I mentioned Rory and his inaccuracies off the tee, but you know, he's, he's a guy that really bombs it. That's kind of been the theme since the restart, I think is mm-hmm. obviously Bryson's, been the talk that the big golfer has you know essentially stolen all the headlines been on the guy that's gone viral on twitter and everywhere else but i mean he's not the only guy that that hits it long i mean dj rom mcroy bryson jt a lot of these guys can really boom it do you think that this could be the year that just the overwhelming number of guys that just really, really, really strike it well off the tee. Do you think this is a year that they could, in that drought of an under par round to or finishing under par to win the U.S. Open? I'm always really bad about picking scores uh, at the U.S. Open because I, based on everything they were saying about how Pebble was set up last year, I, I would have guessed that scores would have been a lot closer to par. Now, maybe not over par, but then, of course, they just lit that place up. Um, I I do think, versus where you were in 2006, um, there are so many guys who hit it really long and really straight, but also have tremendous short games. Somebody like John Rahm that it's a lot easier to imagine somebody breaking par here uh, than it might have been 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. I'll say this. I just just noticed that uh, Sportsline, who you're probably familiar with it, has – I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name, but uh, they have a – a, basically a model that can kind of they, – they, they use it to predict winners, predict top fives, top tens, just mm-hmm. predict guys that are going to go high, going to go low. Um, and I guess it's uh, DFS pro Mike McClure is the guy who's built the prediction model. Um, according to CBS Golf, he's been on fire since the restart. Um his model predictions are up over eight grand on its best bet since the restart. Um, so he, it says McClure finished profitable to open the FedEx cup playoffs at the Northern trust, nailing three of his best bets, <clears throat> including a plus 700 top five bet on Daniel Berger after hitting a top five bet 12 to one on doc Redman at the Wyndham McClure finished up over $700 in that event, um, I say all of that to tell you, and I guess this is a free ad for Mr. McClure um, and uh, Sportsline. I don't know how much it is to join Sportsline, but apparently his model's pretty damn good. But he likes Rory McIlroy this weekend. So, um, former U.S. Open champion, one of uh, the big names in Vegas that they uh, they like a lot. Um, 
as I said, been very inconsistent, very hot and cold since the restart. But uh, Mr. McClure and his uh, analytics like Roy McIlroy this weekend. Yeah, Data Golf also has Rory uh, as a top five favorite. They've got Rom as their favorite right now for what that's worth. Um, yeah. But they they don't hate Rory. Um, like, I, well, what the hell? I'll, I'll hate Rory this week. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I just, I just don't have enough confidence in him with a wedge in his hand. And maybe it's my own golf dad PTSD, uh, remembering what it was like having a brand new baby in the house. I'm sure he's not like waking up at 3 a.m. and rocking the baby to sleep with a bottle. Uh, nevertheless, if he's if he's in the zip code, uh, he's probably not sleeping as much as he he generally does. That was my experience anyway. Perhaps yep. Rory McIlroy's miles right. varies. Now, what if the wedge game and everything else is much stronger this weekend because of his newfound dad strength? That's something that you have to consider. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, I can tell you my wedge game did not re- improve dramatically um, after having children. Uh, but, you know, again, he's uh, he's just a different animal. Maybe Maybe things will be great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, remarkably inconsistent since the restart. Just one top 10 finish since June and uh, enters this weekend at Winged Foot, uh, having finished outside the top 30 in six of his last nine starts. That is so bad for uh, for Mr. McElroy. That's just, that's just crazy to say. That's a weird thing to say out loud and to hear. Yeah, you uh, you truly hate to see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, take that with a grain of salt. The uh, the McClure model likes Mr. McElroy this weekend. Um, but yeah, it's, who knows, man? It, it's The course is just going to be deadly. It's going to eat people up. And uh, I, I guess, I don't know. Do, are you Are you a fan of that kind of golf? Do you like it when a course brings the players to, to their knees or do you like what we saw at Safeway where Stuart Sink was 21 under and Harry Higgs was right there at 19 under, which, which do you prefer? I kind of go back and forth. Well, I definitely don't prefer the sort of setup you saw at the Safeway. Now that's still, you know, there's still a lot of middle ground between that and the sort of stereotype, uh, setup that the USGA puts out at, at US Opens. But I think it's interesting that, that there seems to have been a, at least based on the people I read and, and listen to, and maybe this is a bit of an echo chamber, but I feel like there has been a bit of a swinging of the pendulum on public sentiment toward US Open setups in the past few years. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, our dads and uncles would have sat around and um, and echoed what players said about how the USGA always butchers a setup. I think there is more interest uh, in the part of, uh, of golf fans now for what the USGA is generally trying to do out there. Now, there are obvious examples where they have screwed it up and tried to push the golf course a little too far and gotten burned. But I much prefer to see at least once a year, uh, the sort of test that the USGA lays out there for these guys. I mean, like the, the Safeway today is a good example. If you water down a golf course uh, and just, you know, have rudimentary traps and greens uh, that's not much fun to watch, but I would love to watch Dustin Johnson and John Rom pulling their hair out for four days, uh, trying to figure these greens out, trying to hit fairways, uh, cussing when you know they have to hit a, a low running ball flight out of the rough, uh, and it, just to try to get to stop on the green somewhere rather than being able to hit a pitching wedge 
200 feet in the air and, and have it stop on a dime. It's just more interesting to watch. Now, will they, and by they, I mean the USGA, will they get everything right this weekend? Probably not. They rarely do. But they're at least trying to set up a golf course that challenges these guys, which is more than you can say for the PGA Tour. You know, I think it's, I appreciate it when a course kind of beats them up. I, if you think about it, at least at least in my eyes, at least when I'm when I'm consuming professional golf, it's it, it gets a little monotonous. It gets a little boring when it's just driver wedge putter. Sure, driver wedge putter. I look. It's well, and you're a golf fan. I mean, how much less interesting is it for? Somebody who doesn't watch a lot of golf, but they'll, you know, when the majors are on, they'll, they'll at least flip over and take a look at it. How much less interesting is it when somebody like that turns on the golf tournament and can't tell any discernible difference between what's on their TV and what, you know, it, what happens on the PGA Tour every other week of the year? You know, it's just another golf tournament to them. It's just another driver and wedge fest. On the other hand, like, why do people watch the Masters every year, even if they're not golf fans? Because it's different. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it requires tremendous shot making. Uh, it requires guys to go golf their balls, and that's what the USGA is trying to do out there. They're trying to make these guys have to go golf their balls. Well. It- you know, if you want to just really dumb it down and keep it simple and how that style is much better, because it's it's the old adage of, oh, they're just like us. Oh, they they block it right. They're in the shit. They got to go over there and just dig it out of some, you know, second or third cut. Uh, they they can't go for the green here. They got to play, play smart here, maybe punch one out. And then regroup. That that to me is much more compelling television, and much more enjoyable, much more of an enjoyable watch. Totally. To to see strategy, to see, you know, the wheels turning when they're sitting there looking at their yardage book. They're talking with the caddy, and they and they're having to, you know, they grab a club, they have to put it back and grab another one. Like that's that's just that's fun. Like that's. Because it makes you – you're like, oh, like that's what I do when I go play. Well, and like, you can understand why for you know, for these guys who play the game for a living, why they hate this event and why they get so pissed off at the USGA because these setups take them off script. You know, They're used to being able to hit a driver 310 yards down the fairway, hit a nine iron or pitching wedge into the green and two putt. You know, and then go to the next tee and do the same thing again. And then go to the next tee and do the same thing again. But the USGA doesn't let them get away with that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, it, it drives them crazy. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, good. You know, I'd like to see them driven crazy a little more often. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I like a little crazy. I like things to, I, I think it's good to see the pros on their toes a little bit. Let me ask you this. Um, we have mentioned no laying up before, uh, in our conversations. One of my favorite things that's ever happened on a no laying up podcast was when, uh, DJ Pihowski, uh, famously predicted that there was no way Patrick Reed would win the masters in, uh, well, I guess it was 2018. And then of course he did. So, uh, this is one of my favorite thought exercises before a major, it's like who is the best player in the field that you're willing to point at and say that guy's definitely not going to win. Um and of course you want to you want to you know you want to push it a little here. You want to get close enough to the line that you really might get burned. You might accidentally p- pick the winner. Uh let's see. Somebody that's never won it before or just this year? No, no. Who's like who's the best player in the field who is definitely not gonna win this US Open? Um The two names that kind of come to mind and tell me if I'm crazy here. Two guys that I think are have all have all the talent in the world, 
two of the best golfers on tour just can never put it together for four days. The two names that jump to jump out to me, Jason Day and Tony Finau. Yeah, Finau, I'm convinced, is gonna need like an old priest and a young priest at some point. The uh, that the the Puerto Rico open curse is real and the, he's gonna need some some kind of juju to to get that curse off. Uh, he he has so much game. There is no reason that he should be sitting on one PGA Tour win for his entire career at this point. Um, so yeah, I I would be shocked if he's standing there in the last group on Sunday. He just seems like someone that always just comes out of the gate extremely hot, playing well. It oh, just, he'll be there on Saturday, man. I, I know he'll be around he, on Saturday, you know, and he'll shoot. I don't know. He'll shoot sixty-eight on Saturday, and you know, he'll be in about the third to last group, and then he'll shoot like seventy-six on Sunday and get dropped com- from coverage about an hour into the broadcast. <laughs> it just blows my mind that he he just yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing every weekend. He just fades. It just. It's crazy to me. It's wild that that he can be as talented as he is and like you said can shoot in mid to high 60s on Saturday and then it's just, you know, when the clock strikes midnight, it, everything sh- just completely changes. It, it's it's wild. Um I said Jason Day just because you told me to go out on a limb to where, you know, it's like a guy who could end up winning it. I don't I don't hate that. I think Jason Day is is one of the Better players on tour, um, but if we're just talking like just just him as a dude, like extremely likable, seems like a cool dude, and yeah, just another guy that just can't really put it all together. But he could get hot though. He could, um, and actually, I like that Jason Day pick because I think that's like right up against the line on this thought exercise because he could absolutely win. There are a lot of reasons he might not win, but I'm just kind of poking around uh, the PGA Tour stats before uh, before we got started. He led the tour last season in shots gained around the green, which is go. a stat you would expect to carry a lot of weight at Wingfoot. Uh, he's talking about the wedges, yeah, yeah. and and that's not a that's not an aberration for him. And he's always had a great short game. He's always been a tremendous putter. And you know, when he was at his best, and we've seen flashes of this lately, uh, he can also smoke the ball off the tee on a rope. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if he can pull it all together this week, there, there's, you know, there's no reason he couldn't be there on Sunday. So I like that. I like that pick just because you know he he might he might come back and burn you on that. What about you? Who are you? Uh, who are you leaning for in this thought exercise? Well, I guess I've already kind of shown my card. Uh, I, I don't think Rory is going to win. I think Rory has won the only U.S. Open he's ever going to win. Um, I, I don't think the questions that Wingfoot asks are questions that Rory has great answers for. Um, and who knows? And, you know, he, he may come out and burn me, you know, but if, if I had to pick one guy, you know, the best player in the field that I don't think will win, I think it's Rory. But sitting here looking at this, you know, the guys in the field, I tell you, the, the guy who I looked at for a second and thought, hell no, I'm not picking this guy because he, he really might win is Xander. You know, it's funny that we, we mentioned Finau a minute ago because neither of these guys have ever won. They both seem to always be there. But this is a golf course that sets up pretty well for him, uh, especially if he can keep it in the fairway. Uh, you know, his iron game is really good. He should be able to hit the right sections of the greens. Um so I, I I would not want to be married to Xander Shoffley saying this is the guy who's not going to win this golf tournament because he might. 
I don't hate that because he's been remarkably consistent. He's been in the final groupings uh, a couple, I, I feel like a couple weeks, a couple weekends um, since the restart. He's uh, he's played well. He's, 18, he's sitting 18 to 1 odds right now. He was yeah, T10 at Harding Park. That's, he, God, I'm looking back. Um, he has not missed a cut since January. Um, yeah, he was T2 at the Tour Championship. Had a couple of top 25s before that. Week before that was the PGA Championship where he was T10. Uh, and the three weeks before that, he was in the top 20 all three of those weeks. So, yeah, uh, you could do worse. Absolutely. Who are you? Uh, who are you picking this week? I guess I'm going with John Rahm. Um, I, I'm surprised he's not won a major already. But yeah, you know, just like Xander, he seems to always be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one guy who's been able to beat Dustin Johnson during this recent just insane stint, sprint that that DJ has been on. Uh, and he has all the tools in the toolbox that you would want turning somebody loose on this golf course. Most of all the short game. So if I had to, if I had to ride with one guy, it would be John Rob. I love that. I'm trying to decide between a couple names here. I feel like, I feel like I'm going to go with Justin Thomas. That's a solid pick. Now, I know it's not like I'm going out on a major limb here, but that's not at all what we said we would do. Um, but he has just played great, um, finished T2 at the Tour Championship, just didn't have enough. DJ <coughs> was on fire that day, so understandable. T2 with your boy Xander and then Rom was right there behind him at four. Uh, Scotty Scheffler been playing really well. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like he's almost due since the restart. Mm-hmm. He's had his moments and I just think that this is kind of time for him to get it done here. Um, now, he was the PGA of America Player of the Year, uh, or was named, I should say. Um, so it's not like this is, like I said, it's not like it's a it's an underdog pick, but I I don't know. I I just think that this is, this is wedges, when he gets the wedges going, when he's, a, when he's accurate around the green, he is deadly, and we know how he is off the tee. So, like you said, you got to really make up those strokes when you're within 100 around the green. And I, I think that he's somebody that can get it going and can, and can really give people issues. Let me warn you about one guy whose name we haven't said yet, Patrick Reed. <laughs> he has uh. the short – he absolutely has the short game to play on this golf course. Now his driving accuracy is not tremendous and you know, it's easy to imagine him getting into trouble off the tee at this golf course with those really narrow fairways. But if he puts it in the fairway, he hits it long enough and his short game is world-class. So just be careful. You know, if you go to church on Wednesdays, Talk to your priest about Patrick Reed. Let him know you you may need some extra prayers on Sunday. That is that is a thing that could very well happen. He could also shoot 85-85 first two rounds uh, and miss every done. fair miss every fairway on the golf course uh, and be back home on the weekend. But if if he can keep it in the fairway, he's got the game to do the rest of it. Last thing here before we close up shop. So JT, it's his second PGA Player of the Year award. He won it back in 2017. 
The other multiple win, multiple, uh, multiple time winners, Brooks Kepka. He's won it twice. Which crazy, we haven't even mentioned Brooks until. Um, he know. would have won this golf tournament if he <laughs> had been healthy. I mean, yeah. this is a perfect golf course for him. This is a tournament that he owns. Like if he were healthy, he would have won all the money in this golf tournament. Yeah. So Brooks has won it twice. Roy McIlroy has won it twice. Nick Price, Billy Casper, Julius Boros have won it twice. Ben Hogan four times. Jack Nicholas five. Never Tom heard of any Watson. Of those guys. <laughs> Tom Watson's won it six times. The most. Stewart Snake. Can you guess who the most is? Uh, Player of the Year award. Yeah, it's got to be the cat. It is Tiger Woods. He has won the award eleven times. So that's that seems decent. <laughs> if there's any doubt who the uh, who the goat is, um, so I we would be remiss if we didn't uh, give a shout out to our fellow golf dad, Bunky Perkins. He was unable to join us this evening, but I have reached out to Bunk and asked who his pick is to win. And he is with you, Mr. Bardwell. He is picking Mr. Rom. Oh, to- I feel like I'm an outstanding company then. They, yeah, I mean, Thank absolutely. I, I consider this a, a personal affirmation from Professor Perkins. So, Bunky, thank you. You might as well put some real uh, American green dollars on it now. because if I, I mean, think I'll, as well probably, ride- I'll probably take out a reverse mortgage, put it all on, on Bunky. Yeah. I mean, yeah. on on Rom. Um, maybe I'll put it on Bunky too. You know, I don't know what kind of odds he's got, but uh, you know, what the we, hell? Let's live we, a little. Yeah, we mentioned no laying up. You might as well just look at some real estate in South Pittsburgh. Just go ahead and get you a house down there on the course. I'm like going to need it after my wife kicks me out of my current house. <laughs> um. So yeah, Rom, solid pick there. I've got JT. Uh, and then, as we said earlier, Dustin Johnson, eight to one odds to win at Winged Foot this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Bardwell. I will be taking in this golf tournament while I'm at Lake of the Ozarks playing <laughs> upwards of 72 to 90 holes. Um, so, so wish me luck. It's uh, probably going to kick my ass, but at the end of the day, we'll at least get to watch some 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 good golf. We'll get to watch well, the U.S. Open. When we're all talking to our priests on Wednesday night about the Patrick Reed possibility, none of us will will waste any time praying for you. You'll be fine. I hope so. I, I hope to be okay. If anything, if I get completely ejected at these courses, it'll at least be nice. And I uh, hope the weather's great. And uh, yeah, don't really care. I, I I have no problem shooting a 95 at a place that is outstanding. No, no, go have fun. Blow up one time. Have fun doing it. Yeah. A lot of cold beer. As my buddy was saying the other day, it's, it's a bad weekend to be a cold beer. <laughs> so, uh, you got anything else? No, just, um, just excited to, uh, to be taking this. this. This is a big boy golf course. Like when you think about the U S open, there are about two or three golf courses that come to mind and Wingfoot is one of them. This is going to be a really fun golf tournament. Yeah, it's uh I'm excited. It's going to uh it's going to kick them in the pants and they're going to have to uh they're going to have to respond. So um the fun starts on Thursday. Uh we'll be back hopefully next week to do a little recap action. Would love that. We'll uh, we'll try to do this a little bit a little bit more regular. Uh, we 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 like the uh, we like the golf dads vibe. We like to we we like discussing golf. And, Look, uh, man, this is uh, this is we're coming up on a pretty good stretch of golf here. Atypically good for this time of year. Oh. Um, right after this, you've you've got the Sanderson Farms Championship uh, in Jackson a few weeks down the road. Then you've got. Uh, the Masters right after that in November, which is going to be a complete mind job. Um, it's it's going to be a fun fall for golf. I, for one, cannot wait. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode of Golf Dads. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate our sponsors. Appreciate Mr. Bardwell. And even though he was not with us, we appreciate Mr. Bunky. Um, y'all stay safe out there. 
enjoy this weekend's tournament. Until next time, we out.